Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. If you look around you, you might have a neighbor that doesn't have a Bible or maybe only has a New Testament or doesn't have the King James Version translation. You'd share your Bible with them. That'd be a blessing. And while you're doing that, I want to encourage you about a couple things. Um, yesterday, we got a letter in the mail and a lady that visited our church years ago um, lives way in Upper State, New York, I think close to the Rochester area. And about a year ago or so, she just sent this check to us for our building offering before we started construction. And she watches us live stream and sent us a check again yesterday and uh, for our 1K offering. And then I had a family come in this week and just came to ask for some help. I said, more glad to help you and gave us the check for the 1K offering. And so, church, I'm going to encourage you, uh, these next several weeks, I'll be telling you about the 1K offering. This is where we want every high school age, every adult, to have a part in the 1K offering towards the debt reduction of the new building. And we're thankful already. We've had some good gifts that have come in, but we're still short of the goal. And I'm I'm praying for 400 of our people, adults, teenagers, college students, singles, that will come alongside us to participate. Now, that's something I think everyone can raise. I think everyone could do something between now and then. Our first opportunity will be Sunday, November 11th. Our second opportunity will be December 23rd, which is right before Christmas. Our third opportunity will be our 20th anniversary as a church on January 20th, 2019. And so I want to encourage you just to do your part, to come alongside of us as we endeavor to raise the funds towards this, this 1K opportunity. And again, I think something everyone can do, so you pray about that if you would. And then one month from today... Um, one month from today, as far as Sunday, on October 28th, is our annual Friend Day. And I want to encourage you, we'll have flyers out next Sunday, but I want to encourage you for this, these next several weeks, let's pull out all the stops, let's do everything we can, let's have the best attended Friend Day we've ever had in the history of Heritage Baptist Church. We're planning on some things we want to do that make it a little bit different and special, but let's, let's have a wonderful day. I normally like to preach those services, but we, it happens to be that we have our evangelist, Dr. Tom Farrell, coming in to preach. How many remember Dr. Farrell from a couple years ago? How many remember him? Great preacher, the Word of God. You don't want to miss him. He's coming in to preach our fall revival meetings. Uh, I guess if I had a word to describe him, he is a prophet of God. That's probably the best way to describe him. And he's just a very, very clear in presenting the gospel. We're praying. I've asked him to preach the message that Sunday morning so that we can bring lots of people in to hear the gospel. They'll come to know Christ as their Savior. So I want you to put those on your radar. It's going to be a wonderful day. The church will serve a special luncheon, and it'll be just a great day of church. And then uh, we go right into our fall revival meetings, which I believe God will use in a great, great way. So you, you pray about that and help us with that. Joshua 21, verse 43. We're almost at the end of Joshua. Listen very carefully as we read the scriptures this morning. And the Lord gave, how many thankful God gives, amen? The Lord gave unto Israel, listen to this, all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it. Whatever God gives, you better take it by faith, amen? And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about. According to all these swear unto their fathers, there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies their hand. Hey, God did everything for them. Amen. God does everything for you. Don't say God doesn't help me. God does help you. He's helping you right now. He's helping you stay awake when I preach. Amen. The Lord gave them all the land. 
The Lord gave them rest. Now, don't take your rest right now, amen? What amazing thought of verse 44. There stood not a man of all their enemies before them. You have time, you study world cultures and go back to that time when Joshua fought those battles. I've just given you insight just a little bit. You've got to study those world cultures to understand what was going on at that time. The world was messed up then. It's messed up now, but it was messed up then too. By the way, when Jesus is not in it, it's all messed up, amen? That's what it is. Look at verse 45. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Father, this morning we've been encouraged by the special music of our choir and orchestra, the congregational singing, good reports all week long. Folks trusting Christ as their Savior. Thank you for visitors and guests here today, many from out of town. Thank you for some of our Bible college students being back tonight, today. Thank you, Lord, for helping our folks do surgeries this week. Some, dear Lord, still going through health trials and treatments. And God, your grace has been sufficient for them this week. Thank you for answered prayers. Thank you, God, for safety. Thank you we can be in church. Thank you for the properties of all of God's provision. Father, make your face to shine upon this congregation this morning through the Word of God. Help that what I say, everything about it is God's Word. We pray this morning that you speak to our hearts. God, that you change our hearts. The Lord, you give us a spirit of meekness to receive the engrafted Word which is able to save souls. Help us not to look for contradictions. Help us not to look for errors. Help us not to look for problems because they're not there. But help us to see Jesus. Help us see Jesus lifted up high and holy. And Lord, this morning, may when it's all said and done for, I pray for folks who do not know you as Savior to get saved this morning and Christians to be revived. And God, our commitment level increase. And those who have been saved to take the next step of baptism. And those, dear God, who have been in this church for a while but have yet to join the church, they need to join the church and get involved. And may some of us, God, who have just kind of been in the background there, get at the forefront and fight some battles for the Lord. Whatever it may be today, have your way. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I feel like it's been yesterday. We just started this series from the book of Joshua. And Joshua, the theme has been victory in Jesus. is about the victorious Christian life. I believe that there's one kind of life God wants you to have that's biblical in nature. God wants you and me to have a victorious Christian life. God wants you to understand, yes, you might be in the doldrums and you might be feeling like you've been knocked down, but praise the Lord, you can get right back up. And you might be someone, you've had some rocks thrown at you along the way, but you can get right back up. And I want to encourage you this morning that as we've gone through this series in, in Joshua, and you might want to go back to the podcast and listen to the message again, we've seen incrementally week after week after week while we've been on this subject, how God gives us the tools and ability to realize we can be victorious 
as Christians. We've seen God work in a powerful way. Now we get to Joshua 20, 21. Last week we saw the cities of refuge. Now to do it justice, what I probably should have done is read chapter 21 to you first and then preach chapter 20. Because Joshua 20, 21 described just the last tribe that got, their, that, that got something. The Levites were not promised an inheritance. God said, you're not going to get any land. He says, I will be your inheritance. He says, you are full-time servants of God. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about a thing. But he did require that of all of the cities that were given out, that those cities in chapter 21 were to designate certain cities for the Levites. And so we have a listing in chapter 21 of all the different tribes and cities that they gave that went to the Levites. The Levites wound up getting 48 distinct cities. I wish I had time to preach about it. It's great, great thoughts in there. But they got 48 different cities. Of those 48 cities, six of them were set aside or set apart as what we call cities of refuge. Places where someone guilty of an unintentional, unmalicious uh, uh, accident that led to a fatality. In other words, maybe it was manslaughter. That they had a place they could run to for refuge. And they could stay there and they would be saved. And God would take care of them. And at the death of the high, they were supposed to stay in the city until the high priest died. And when the high priest died, they were, they were set free. The slayer of blood could not go out after them and they could go back to their home of origin to their land of inherit their place of inheritance what a great story we saw there and how that's all a picture of the lord jesus christ who's an anchor of our soul who comes and we're sure and steadfast in him that we know that he is our refuge and we can flee to you and my encouragement this morning it might be today i'm talking to somebody who's not saved jesus christ can be your refuge he can be the hiding place for your life he you can come to him for that you can be saved and know that your name is written in god's book of life and that heaven is your home and that you become a son of God and that your sins are all forgiven. I pray this morning that if you're not saved, you trust Jesus today. But in the midst of all this, we get to chapter 21 and the Levites have gotten, gotten their cities and the cities of refuge have been designated. We get to verse 43 and verse 43 says, and the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. Now we're going to go back in time a little bit in this morning's message, but God gave them all their land. They couldn't really visualize in their minds as this was all unfolding, as God had told them in the book of Deuteronomy what he was going to give them. As God reminded Josh and Joshua chapter 1 what he's going to give them they just saw they just saw these mountains they saw these valleys they saw the giants they still remembered embedded in their thoughts the report of the 10 spies that discouraged them all we saw are giants and lamb they saw fear they saw problems they saw obstacles they saw difficulties that's all they could visualize their mind but then the day came God said open the Jordan River and the Jordan River was open and they crossed through that the Jordan River is not a picture of salvation the Jordan River is a picture of our country consecration, our setting apart for God. It's the storyline for every Christian that we begin the walk of faith. We've got to get our feet wet sometimes. And we've got to cross some rivers. And we've got to get up close to the shoreline. And we've got to wait for God to part the waters. And as God parts the waters, we walk go through that dry land and we get on the other side. I'm saying this morning, there's some of us today who need to step out by faith and get on the other side. Stop being on the side where there is no faith. Get out of the fear and exercise faith and get on the other side with the Lord. They 
they went over there and they crossed the Jordan River. And then the first city they had to conquer was the city of Jericho. And all they saw were these walled cities. You remember the study? Jericho just didn't have one wall. It had two walls. It had an outer wall and it had an inner wall. Nobody had ever scaled those cities. No one had ever barricaded. No one had ever used any kind of device to knock down those cities. It was, it was impossible, humanly speaking. But nothing is impossible with God. Amen? And God brought those walls down. All they had to do was shout. And the walls came down. And they conquered that city. They had to deal with that. And then they conquered Ai. And then we see along the way, there were numerous other cities they conquered. They went through valleys and they went up to mountains. They traveled sometimes 30-something hours straight all the way up to 3,000, 4,000, sent up to a mountain to fight to fight the enemy. And as they fought the enemy, there were times when God slew more of the enemy through hailstones than He did by the sword. They were watching that God, unfoldingly, was giving them all the land. As it says in verse 43, the Lord gave them all the land according to what He promised them, what He swore to give their fathers, and they possessed it. They were scared, but they exercised a little faith, and they got it. They exercised a little bit more faith, and they got it. They exercised a little more faith, they got it. And you understand something this morning, brother and sister Christ? That's the work of God. We exercise a little bit of faith, and we get it. You understand, when this church started, we had to exercise some faith in starting this church. We had to exercise some faith in where our starting point would be. We had to exercise our faith in just going out and door knocking, and we've make, reaching people. Nobody knew us. We were, we were we were, we were an unknown quantity. Nobody knew who we were. We weren't even sure if we knew who we were. Amen. We, we went out and stayed faithful by the stuff and stayed faithful by the stuff and stayed faithful by the stuff. And we started to exercise a little faith. And then God led us to a property where we took our costs and our costs came down. And God led us along the way. And God led us over here. And we thought this was way more than we ever could have. And we thought all oh, 22,000 square feet of space, this will last us for many years. And we finally realized after we got here in 2002 that God was starting to fill up the space here. Now we're looking many years later. We exercised a little more faith. And the city of San Leandro said, you can't buy this property. You can't, you, you, can't, you can't expand on this property. And leaving that planning meeting, I felt dejected and discouraged. And I wondered, God, what are we supposed to do? But all I remember is I left that room. I was a little bit irritated and a little bit annoyed at their response to me. But I said this, I don't agree with you. But I said, but I'm going to pray for you. And I'm thankful six months to the day, on a Thursday afternoon, those people called me back up. And they said, Pastor Fong, we've reconsidered. We're going to let you build. We're not going to let you build three phases, we're going to let you build two. I said, I'll take it, because when we come down to the third phase, all you folks will be gone anyway. Amen, you know? Erase that from live stream, amen? It's true. Exercise a little faith. At first giving by faith banquet, my goodness. Deacons rest, what do you think we'll raise? I told those guys, I said, man, if God just gives us $25,000, God gives us just 25 cents, I'd be happy. Amen. You remember, I said, every giving banquet, I said, whatever God gives us, I'll take that. That's what God wants us to have. I've never set a number out there. Now, I've preached a few building banquets, folks, for good churches. We've got a landscape, California. We've got some good, we have some young, some preachers trying to build. I think brother, our brother Kerry Brown up in Marysville. First big building banquet they preach. I preached and God raised a substantial amount of money for them. I preached for Brother Wynn Pichardo over there in Daly City. First building banquet. Everybody came to the banquet. I know the feeling. Very nervous. Not sure to do. God raised a great offering for them. I think of other preachers. I think about a man over in Central, Central Valley Baptist Church, Manteca. He said, Pastor, we haven't raised money for a long time. And he called me one month before their building banquet. He says, somebody told me I need to have you preach. I said, who was the somebody? Amen. 
I told my wife, hey, say, we got to clear that Saturday. I promised a young preacher I'd go up there to preach for him. We went to the banquet and saw a few people we knew up there and said hello. And I said, what are you trying to raise? He told me what he's trying to raise. I said, well, we're going we're gonna to trust God for it. And God raised more than he expected to raise. But I'll tell you something. I've watched a lot of churches after that first offering. Second offering. Third offering. Fourth offering. There's no faith. The glory of God. I've watched Heritage Baptist Church. It's not me. We've never had an offering for our giving by faith or faith promise that's gone down. Not once. Preachers ask, they say, how much you owe on this building? Just in case you're not sure, it's not three, it's zero. I just have to say, because I just had my eyes examined, they asked me the same thing, okay, you know. Exercise faith. In the midst of all this, Josh has summed up everything. Verse 45. They finally at rest. The enemy realized they met their match. The sons of Anak were going to bother them anymore. And the Canaanites kind of settled in their ways. And the Amorites had settled in their ways. Those were the predecessors. Those were the giants of the day. God said, verse 44, there stood out a man of all their enemies before them. Then he said, verse 45, there failed not of any good thing. The Lord had promised them. Brother and sister in Christ, friend here this morning, I'm going to tell you today, we have a God who cannot fail. Amen. Failed not of any good thing which the Lord has promised them. You and I are going to fail God, but God never fails us this morning. And there's so many things that are embedded between chapter 1 and chapter 21. I'm going to take you through some steps this morning for a few minutes. But I want you to see some things today about a God who cannot fail. If God did not fail Joshua, and God did not fail this ragmuffin group of Israelites whose shoes did not wear out and their clothing did not wear out during the 40 years in the wilderness, then for all that time, God would provide them their needs. I'm going to declare to you today, regardless of how much you are struggling or what your trial may be in the Christian life, I'm going to declare to you today, according to Joshua 21 verse 45, we have a God who cannot fail. Number one, what you notice this morning, we have a God who does not fail us in our steps. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to move very quickly, please. Joshua chapter 1, and notice verses 3 to 4. This is the day when, when God came to Joshua. Moses was dead. Everyone's grieving the passing of Moses. Joshua's been in the shadow of Moses for 40-something years. He can't think of anything better than to just to be Moses' servant. He can't think of anything better than to be just to be there to help Moses. Now the, 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 the baton has been passed to him. The reins of leadership have been given to Joshua. Joshua's 80 years old. He's filling the gap. He's looking around here, and there ain't no Joshua. There, and there ain't no Moses there. Moses is gone. Aaron's gone. The, seat, the, the, the leadership reins have been seated there to Joshua. And God said to Joshua in verse 3 to 4, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards the going down the sun, shall be your coast. Look at verses 3 and 4. God told Joshua, I will be faithful to you in your step. I will guide your steps. I will bless your steps. Every place 
that the sole of your foot should tread upon. That have I given to you. Let me reduce it down to this to make it very simple. The Christian life is executed one step at a time. One step at a time. We take one step of faith. We don't go backwards in faith. We go forward in faith. We have a God who does not fail us in our steps. Which you notice this morning, there are faith steps we must take. Faith steps we must take. Joshua had to step out in faith. Joshua had to go forward in faith. Joshua had to step out and get his feet wet in the Jordan River. Joshua had to step out and get on the other side. Joshua had to step out and approach Jericho. Joshua had to step out with that those men. And they had to circle that city every day for six days and seven times the seventh day. And then they blew their trumpets and shouted. Joshua had to step out in faith and deal with sin. Joshua had to step out in faith and take Ai. Joshua had to step out in faith to represent the Gibeonites and keep his word with them and come back all night long to come up to the mountain place to fight with those five kings that assembled against him. He had to step out by faith. He had to claim some land. He had to claim some cities. Brother and sister in Christ, the Christian life is walking by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Psalms 37, verse 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. I remind you this morning, Proverbs 16, 9, man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed the steps. Walking by faith is letting God lead you by his word and by his Holy Spirit. I'm saying today, God does not fail you. Listen, step out today. Don't be stationary. Don't be stagnant. Don't stay in your place. Step out by faith, for thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We only need enough light for the next step, as we always say. God's word will guide you. God's word will lead you. God's word will direct you. God's Holy Spirit will show you. I'm saying this morning, we have to step out by faith. And we must realize, we will not learn about God's faithfulness. We will not learn about how good God is to us until we step out by faith and do something for him. We must have faith steps. I'm reminded today about the grandfather of Mr. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon came from a lineage of preachers and his grandfather was a poor English preacher who lived way out in the English countryside. They didn't have much, but they had a lot of children, amen? They had a little farm there, one little cow. That cow gave them their milk and all that they needed. A few chickens that took care of their, their poultry and their eggs and things like that. These were poor farmers and he just was happy with what little they had and he was glad that they could take care of their needs and their endurance the week he'd prepare and visit his members and pray with them and visit with them. He'd preach the sermons during the week and Sunday would be the big day when he preached the word of God. One day after he came out the pulpit, mama came to him and she said, James, how will God provide for the children? She said, if that cow ever dies on us, we're in big trouble. We can't afford a cow. He said, mama, don't worry about it. God will provide. One day the cow did die. And then she came and she says, I hate to tell you this, James, the, the, the cow is dead. What are we going to do? That old cow is dead. We've got no more milk. The cow cow is dead. What are we going to do? He said, Mama, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We're just going to pray and trust God for what we're going to do there. He got to praying, asking God what to do. It happened that later that week, he, they didn't have milk for one day, milk for two days from that cow. They went about three days. There was no cow that they could draw milk from. And they wondered, what are we going to do? And the preacher, he went to a preacher's meeting where this preacher's meeting, once a month the preachers would get together and they would talk about they would talk about the needs of other preachers there and they'd say, hey listen, let's take up an offering for some of these preachers there. And they raised up this money Mr. James Mr. James Spurgeon didn't say a thing. Pastor James Spurgeon said not a thing. He didn't want to tell any of those men what was going on in his life. But he knew God was going to take care of his need. And they all took up an offering and they took up this offering and talked about preacher number one and preacher number two and preacher number three and they got, they took all that, they distributed all those funds and all they had left was five pounds 
after all the money they accumulated. They said, well, we've got five pounds left. We don't want to leave it inside the treasury here. We've got to do something with it. Does anybody know of any other preacher we could take care of? And way back there, brother, Mr. Spurgeon was back there just trying to be obscure and hidden from everybody else. Didn't want anybody to know what's going on. And some preacher in the front had no idea that James Spurgeon was in the back there. He said, yeah, you know, I, I, I know of a preacher way out there in that county there. There's a man by the name of James Spurgeon. Everybody said, yeah, we know him. He's a good Baptist, Baptist preacher. He said, listen, we, we don't know what his need is, but listen, he's got all these kids. They barely make ends meet. He's a contented man. I think we ought to give the five pounds to Mr. Spurgeon. Well, immediately after that preacher said that, another preacher said, well, listen, I know that man too. If you're going to give him five pounds, I'm going to take five pounds more out of my pocket and I'm going to give five pounds that we're going to give him. Now another preacher got it says, well, we've got an extra five pounds from our church. I'll give him five pounds. Then a businessman that happened to be in the group stood up. He says, I'll give 20 pounds. Listen, by the end of that day, that man, Mr. Spurgeon, got something like 40 to 50 pounds of money, more than enough money to buy a new cow. Faith steps. I'm going to tell you this morning, we're not done exercising faith at Heritage Baptist Church. There's still more ground to conquer. There's still more steps to take. There's still more buildings to build. There's still more land to acquire. There's a Bible college to be built. There are preaching stations that need to be established. There are churches that need to be started. We need things to happen here. Listen, this area is greatly in need of Jesus Christ. They don't need a false gospel. This area does not need a pseudo gospel. This area, this area doesn't need a, a smoothing conscience gospel. It needs a thus save the Lord gospel, a preaching of God's word that stirs our hearts and gets us to be concerned about the real needs in life. Hey, the real needs in life are not rocking around and figuring out, well, if we make people rock with us during church, it'll happen. You don't rock people to church. Listen, you bring them to the rock of ages, which is Jesus Christ. But there's also forward steps. Forward steps are difficult. Forward steps are long journeys. Forward steps sometimes help make us go up a mountain. Forward steps take us to overflowing rivers and overflowing seas. Forward steps sometimes means we've got to go to battle with the enemy. Forward steps sometimes represent giants that are large than us, but we've got to go forward for the Lord. I'm saying to you this morning, you might be timid and you might be shy about what to do next. I encourage you this morning, we have a God who's faithful to us, who will not fail you. He will not fail you as you exercise faith, and He will not fail you as you go forward for Him. Go forward in Jesus Christ. Psalms 119, verse 133 says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Forward steps are how the gospel advance in the book of Acts. Forward steps are the kind of steps we must take as a church. Forward steps are steps of obedience. Hey, listen to this. First Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow steps. I would declare to you when Jesus took up His cross and started walking to Golgotha's hill with a heavy weight and the burden of that cross on His shoulders and had it seated off to Simon the Serene. I would declare to you today, Jesus did not go forward, did not go backwards with that cross. He went forward with that cross. And I'm going to tell 
tell you, sometimes the burdens are heavy and the weights are heavy and the difficulties are there and the sorrows will be there. But God wants us to pick up that cross and go forward and carry it for Jesus and carry it on. Go forward and say, hey, what would have happened if Jesus decided to take a step backwards instead of taking a step forward? Hey, I'm thankful this morning I can follow the steps of a Savior who saw that cross, who saw its shame and saw its suffering and saw all that he would endure on that. He went forward, not for his sake, but for your sake and mine that our sins could be paid for. Charles McCartney, a great commentary. If you need some good commentaries, get some books by Charles McCartney. He made this statement. I'm going to read this to you. He said, between an airplane and every other form of locomotion, transportation, there's one great contrast. The horse and the wagon and the automobile, the bicycle, the locomotive, the speedboat, and the great battleship can all come to a standstill without any danger. And they can all reverse their engines or their power and go backwards while they do that. Listen to this. But there is no reverse about the engine of an airplane. Once it's in motion, it cannot back up. It dare not stand still. If it loses its momentum and forward drives, then it crashes. The only safety for the airplane is in its forward and upward motion. The only safe direction for the Christian to take is forward and upward. May I help you this morning? If you're sitting back timid, you're saying, let somebody else do the work. You're saying, I've got to wait a little bit longer. I've got to go through the ABCs of discipleship. May I encourage you this morning, go forward and upward in Jesus Christ. Take a step out for the Lord. We have a God who does not fail you. Yeah, you're going to trip along the way. And yeah, sometimes you'll stub a toe along the way. And yeah, sometimes that journey is going to be a little bit tough. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to encourage you this morning. We have a God today who has ordered our steps before Him. We have a God today who will not fail you in your steps today. Secondly, would you notice we have a God who doesn't fail us when we sin. Sometimes I'm witnessing to people. I'll, now I'll ask the question. I'll say, now... Do you know what sin is? And they'll say, yes. I say, have you sinned? And they'll say, oh, yeah. I said, would you like to talk about those sins? They said, no, we're not going down there today, Pastor. That's how a lot of us feel about sin. We're not going down there today, Pastor. We don't want to talk about my sins. We like talking about other people's sins, but we don't want to talk about our sins. I can't say for this congregation, but I can say this. I believe across the board, there are God's people who feel the weight of their sins. They've got besetting sins that recur in their lives. Sins they're ashamed of. Sins they want victory over. And they can put on their Sunday garments to look really good and put on their makeup and look really good. And they can put on their tie and look really good. But they don't deep down their heart, man, they're struggling with sin. Joshua chapter 7, we have the story. Joshua's on a roll. Joshua's had victory after victory. They've crossed the Jordan River. They've overcome Jericho without using any battering rams on that city. God brought the walls down. God told them specifically, now, the silver and the gold and the precious things, he called it the accursed thing. He says, do not touch that. It belongs to me. It belongs to me. If you take it, you're stealing. One man by the name of Achan. His name means troublemaker. What a terrible name, amen? 
mother must have disliked him because she called him troublemaker. He led his wife and his family to take a wedge of silver, a Babylonian garment, and many other things. And as Israel was being massacred, 30 men lost their lives, he kept his mouth shut. Didn't bother him. Joshua falls on his face with the elders of Israel, says, God, God, have you forsaken us? I mean, that's his first defeat he's had. God, have you forsaken us? That's how we feel sometimes. We're like, God, have you forsaken us? And God said, Joshua, get off your face. There's sin in the camp. There's sin there. You got to deal with it. And so he gets her up and they, they started going through the process, determining, okay, where is the sin at? They started doing assessment, went from tribe after tribe after tribe. And the Holy Spirit's leading along the way behind the scenes there. And invisibly, the Holy Spirit leads them to the tribe of Judah. And there, the tribe of Judah, he leads them right to this man by the name of Achan. Now listen, this process of elimination is going on. Achan doesn't say a word. Achan is just trying to hold it as long as he can. Achan's thinking, I can hold it back. I can deceive him. They're not going to find me. They're not going to find it. And, he, and on top of that, he hid it underneath some, some, some things there. Where nobody would find it. He thought nobody would find him. But listen, let me tell you something. God found out that man's sin. God revealed it on the day. It was a dark day and a horrendous day because that man was found. Listen, Achan along the way had every opportunity to repent and say, it's my fault. Listen, it wasn't just stealing that was his fault. It wasn't just covetous was his fault. This man lied. This man contributed to the death of other people. I mean, there was a chain of events that occurred because of everything Achan did. And let me tell you today, when we sin, we never sin by ourselves. Somebody else goes down with us. We see the penalty of sin. And we read Joshua 7, we think, well, Joshua took care of it well. I will tell you this, this evening, this morning, I think Joshua in his heart of hearts did not want to stone that man. I don't think those elders of Israel had any inclination that in their heart of hearts they wanted to stone that man, but they knew they had to deal with sin. Hey, listen to this morning. Sin is bad. There's none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen to this. The prophet Ezekiel said it best. The soul that sinneth, it must die. There's a penalty for sin. Achan could have gotten right with God. If you read chapter 7 very carefully, the mercies of God are right there. He would not extend himself to ask God for forgiveness. Hey, by the way, if you're carrying a guilt of sin in your life and it's been going on for weeks and months and years, why don't you come to the cross and say, Lord, I need your mercy this morning. Amen. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there is exercised to me. And they drew this man Achan and his entire family out. Israel stoned him. They buried a bunch of rocks on top of him. They called that place where he was buried the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. Sin has a penalty. My friend, this morning, God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to go to heaven. God sent his son Jesus to die for your sin. Listen, there's a penalty for sin, but there's a payment for sin. Now, there's two ways sin gets paid for. Okay? Number one, either you're going to pay for your sin, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Either you're going to pay for your sin, or you can accept a payment that was made for you. Amen? 
And the payment that was made for you was through the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle John said. If we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If any man say he has not sinned, he makes him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he said this, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's wonderful. And this morning, I tell you today, the payment for sin was made 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. The Son of God became the Son of Man, yet without sin. He took your place and mine. He died on the cross. All our sins were paid for in full through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins and mine. Listen, He died for every murderer. He died for every liar. He died for every rapist. He died for every for every thief. He died for every covetous person. He died for every Pharisee. He died for every hypocrite. It doesn't matter. You name the sin. He died for every idolater. It doesn't matter what it is. Praise God this morning. Jesus, when He died for our sins, He died for every sinner and every sin. Payment was in full. Where propitiation means He took our place. He satisfied all of God's demands for sin. It was paid in full. Zero balance. How many like that on your bills? Zero balance. Amen. He paid your sin debt. It's a zero balance. Amen. You don't owe him anything. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it. I just know. Yes, we owe him something. But he doesn't need anything in return from you. He just asks us lovingly to exercise faith and call upon him to save us from our sins. But the question comes down to, we know there's a penalty for sin, and we know there's a payment for sin, but you know something else? There's a pardon for sin. Every Christian struggles, especially if you're not grown in the Word of God. If you haven't enrolled in discipleship and new, new believers membership to learn how to grow in the Lord, many Christians we find over time are bothered by, well, you know, if I commit this sin, can I still go to heaven? Some people believe that, you know, that they, they have to get saved over and over again. And some people believe that, uh, that their sins, that they commit a sin. Listen, number one, after you get saved, you're not sinless. Say amen. amen. Okay? You're not sinless. After you get saved, you're still going to sin. Paul said at this point, when I want to do good, evil is always with me. He called, his, he called his flesh, oh, wretched man that I am. But I have good news for you. We have an advocate, the Father. The Bible says if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Watch what happened. When Jesus shed His blood on the cross for our sins, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. That's an interesting word, cleanses, because it implies past sins, present sins, future sins. When you die, you're saved. You know Jesus Christ is Savior. When you die and leave this life, when you go to heaven, your sins have already been judged at the cross. They're not going to be judged at the, seat, at the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, it's what we did for God after we got saved. It's our works for the Lord that will be determined. It's a judgment of rewards. But while we're here on earth, Jesus died for our sins. All of our sins, past, present, future, were judged on Jesus when He died on the cross. Listen, you can come to God and realize this morning that He gives you freedom Listen, you can come to him today and realize you can come to him for cleansing and forgiveness and ask him to wash away your sins and whatever guilt you might have. You can come to this morning and realize he gives you power over that. Someone asked an elderly Christian lady, does the devil ever trouble you about your past sins? And she said, yes. 
And when the choir asked her what she did, and she said, Oh, I just tell him to go east. What do you do if he, t- if he comes back? Then I tell him to go west. What do you mean? If, say, if the devil tells you about your sins, you tell him to go east, and he comes back and you tell him to go west. She said, oh yeah, the Bible says in Psalms 103, verse, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I just keep telling him to go east to west, east to west. Why does that, why does God say that? Because east and west never meet. He keeps on forgiving us our sins. He heals us of all our iniquities. Hey, praise God this morning. We have a God who loves us so much. He doesn't leave us living in a guilt conscience. He lives us knowing that we're free. We have liberty through Jesus Christ this morning. Hey, we have a God who doesn't fail us when it comes to sin. Thirdly, we have a God who doesn't fail us when it comes to suffering. We get saved. Trouble doesn't go away. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. You talk about your troubles? Let me tell you about Joseph's troubles. He had 11 brothers and they all hated him. I mean, I'm not talking about they were mad at him. They hated him. That's how the Bible describes They hated him. And hatred is, hatred is this, this strong animosity. It's so strong you can visualize destroying that person. Ezekiel talks about the old hatred the Philistines had to Israel. I think there's some this morning. You better deal with your old hatred that you got in your heart this morning. His brothers hated him so much, they got together and they had a business meeting. They said, let's sell our, let's sell, let's throw our brother in a pit and take his coat of many colors, which showed the father's preference and love for him. They said, let's take his coat and dip it in blood and say, daddy, look at here. Your, your son was eaten up by an animal and here's the coat to show for it. Bunch of connivers. Can you imagine their own blood brother to be so cold and so calculated and so deceitful and so hateful to do something like that, to break their father's heart? And while they're eating lunch, can you imagine? They threw their brother into an animal pit and he's languishing there and he's thirsty and he's broken and all of these things. He's crying, guys, do something. Judah, help me out. Zerubin, help me out. Simeon, help me out. Benjamin, help me out. Nobody responded to him. They see a caravan of Midianites go by and somebody thought, hey, let's sell him for some silver. They sold their own brother out. They sold him out for silver. And Joseph is wondering, man, where am I going now? And he winds up in Egypt. He'd heard about Egypt, but he'd never been to Egypt before. He's an old country boy. He was out in the, the land of Canaan. He didn't know anything about Egypt. He's there in a land where he can't speak the language, doesn't know the custom. And listen, he's, he comes out of that out of this caravan, and he just doesn't fit Egyptian life, if you know what I mean. He's, a, he's the equivalent of what we would call a country bumpkin. How many know what a country bumpkin is, amen? And he's, they throw him right in the midst there. And of all things, he sold to Potiphar, the leading man in all of Egypt. And Potiphar takes and employs him as a servant. And Potiphar sees something special about this young man. This young man rises to the occasion. He could be trusted. And he was faithful. And the hand of God was upon him. And he saw this young man have his devotions every day. He's reading his Bible. Joseph had learned along the way that God is faithful when we take those steps of faith. And we take those forward steps. And he learned God is faithful in spite of whatever his brothers did. Joseph had no animosity. He had no bitterness. He had no no anger, no records made in the Bible that he complained or talked about what his brothers did to him. He wasn't in the gall of bitterness or the bondage of iniquity. He didn't talk about it. He just said, well, I'm just got to go forward. 
And he rises to where the Bible says he was in charge of everything. And then there comes this old seduction that Potiphar's wife was a woman that seduced him. She had seduced other men along the way in that palace. And she looked at this strapping guy. Then she looked at his muscular body. She looked at he was youthful and fresh and he was wise. And she dressed herself in a provocative manner. And she used, she used her fair speech to trap him. And she said, lie with me. She tried to get him to commit immorality. And he said, ma'am, I can't do such a thing. He said, your husband is a trust with everything in this house. I said, I've I control everything except for you. And he said this, how can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? He had enough of a respect and reverence for the holiness of God while he's thousands of miles away in Egypt where he could have gotten away with it. He could have gotten away with it. Nobody would have said anything. He could have come, become just like the Egyptians. He could have thought like the Egyptians, done like them. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And one day she trapped him. And she said, look, this man, He look what he tried to do. She was mad because he scorned her. He spurned her. He rejected her or everything about her. And she he said, I'm not going to do this. And he ran away from her. And she turned him in and told lies about him. Now this guy's languishing in prison for two years. He helps one man get out of prison. The man forgot to give a good word about him to, to Pharaoh. And this man is languishing for two years in prison. I mean, you think of me for just a minute. You think you're suffering. He had his brothers that hated him. His brothers sold him out as a slave. He goes to Potiphar's house. He's trying to get himself out of the out of this difficult situation. And just as things are turning around, somebody sells him out again and tells a lie about him. He's, he's guilty of he's guilty of crimes he never committed. I mean, he's falsely accused, all these kind of things. Now he's languishing in prison. He's wondering, will I ever get out of here? And then that's when God came into the picture again. And later on, when Jacob, his father, died, his brothers were concerned. Oh, Joseph's going to execute judgment on us. Oh, he's going to take it. He's going to get us now. We are in big trouble, boys. You guys better start counting your money now and paying back the money we owe him. Amen. You know, he said, with tears coming down his face, he said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. What he was saying there. God does not fail us even when we suffer. The Apostle Paul, I, I, I'm looking forward, we go to heaven to meet the Apostle Paul. I've got a lot of questions to ask Paul. There's a lot of blanks there, there in the Scriptures. I mean, blanks are some pieces of Scripture. I've got questions about it. I want to ask him to fill in the blanks. I want to ask him about how God was working his life and things. But listen, Paul, you talk a man that suffered. You read 2 Corinthians 11, all that he suffered, he went through, he was whipped, he was humiliated, he was shamed, he had shipwrecks, he had people turn against him, he had his best friends turn against him, he didn't know what to do. He got down to the tail end of his life and he said, no man has stood with me, all men have forsaken me. I mean, he was at the tail end of his life. Then to top all that off, he writes in 2 Corinthians 12 how God had given him this vision of heaven. He saw this vision of the third heaven and he said, what a wonderful thing. And then right alongside of that, he got a little puffed up, a little bit proud like sometimes we do. And God put a thorn in his flesh, a thorn in his side. He had this affliction. Many people believe that he had failing eyesight. I was just reading Galatians just this morning. In Galatians, he says, you, love, you guys love me so much, you're willing to give your own eyes to me so I could see. He couldn't see. He was having impairment problems. That, that of course, is a very scary thing to have when you can't see anymore. And he couldn't see. And he prayed quiet three times. And here's a man who saw many answers to prayer. Here's a man who had God's power in his life. He prayed three times for God to take away. And each time God said, no. It didn't mean God didn't love him. It didn't mean God wasn't interested. God had something better for him to learn. And through all that he learned was 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, God's grace was sufficient for me. Hey, you don't have to have God answer all your prayers. If God doesn't answer your prayer, what you need to learn beyond all the things we want out of this life is that God's grace is sufficient for you and me. 
God's grace saw him through that. God would compensate for his needs. And he learned as he was growing the Christian faith, he was learning that God's strength was being made perfect in his weakness. Did you capture that? God's strength is being made perfect in our weakness. Hey, we have a God who does not fail. He may not cure us. He may not deliver us. But that doesn't mean God has failed. That means God wants us to experience his grace. Hey, I'd rather have God's grace than have healing if it means it gets me closer to Jesus Christ. None of us like feeling weak. My father had a stroke. I mean, the hardest thing for me to go through is assisting my dad. My dad was independent up to 91 years of age. My dad was strong. Listen, my dad did judo in his, in his, in his 20s. My dad was strong. I watched him pick up a 200-pound piece of meat, a, a side, side of meat, and he carried it from, the, from a truck outside. And I watched him carry it to a walking buck, five-foot, five-half-inch Chinese man, carrying it on his back, and he hoisted it up and put it on a hook. Then I'd watch him take a, a boning knife, and I'd watch him dissect that, that piece of meat, and you'd have steaks and everything else there. And one hour's time, he broke that piece of meat up, maybe less than that. He'd I'd watch him as a kid doing those things. I could have never imagined as a dope man watching my dad where I had to carry him. I had to pick him up. I had to lift my dad up sometimes. I had to help do things. I had to care for him. My son would do that for him as well. And we would come alongside. And there were days as my dad cried. I would cry. I said, Dad, I said, Dad, I hate to see you like this, but we're going to take care of you. We're going to care for you. Hey, can I tell you something? That's where God wants you and me to be like. He wants to realize when we can't walk on our own, we can't do things on our own. We've got a God in heaven who loves us so much. He wants us to pick us up so we can feel the love of God flowing from His heart to yours. We're so independent. We don't want God's love. I can do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. You need the Lord to help you through all that. You want to test your character? Close out your bank accounts. Give all your money away. Sell everything you have. Go live in a 200 square foot apartment. See how much you're going to praise God at that moment of time. In suffering, we learn that nothing separates from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. In suffering, we learn that God is for us and not against us. man had a son who was grieving the loss of his son. Of his son. Son had a terminal illness. Church prayed. People prayed. But it was God's will that God wanted to take that son home. The hardest thing to do as a pastor is to come alongside of somebody who's grieving something like that. I mean, you can't say, I, I, know what you, I know what you're going through. You've never gone through it. The pastor was very anxious. He didn't know what to say. He went to the hospital to see that man, and the man saw the pastor just dropped his face. He didn't want to see the pastor. The man was bitter. He was angry. As the pastor approached and tried to put his arm around him to con- console him, he turned to the pastor, turned his arm back, and he says, Where was God when my son died? Where was God when my son died? That moment of time, God put this on the pastor's heart. Tears coming down his eyes. He says, sir, God was at the same place where he was at when his son died. Did you get that? Where's God when your son died? Same place he was at when his son died. This morning, we have a God who does not fail us in our steps, in our sin, 
and our suffering. And finally this morning, He doesn't fail us as His sons. There failed not out of any good thing which the Lord has spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Would you notice this in chapters 20, 21, we're done? God treated all of them as His sons. When you get saved, here's what the Bible says. To as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. God treated all of them just like family. You know, God wants you to be part of His family. I can't get you in that family. Our best Bible teachers in this church can't get you in that family. But listen, there's a power that can bring you in that family. And that power is God's power to save you and transfer you and bring you into that family where you become a son of God. Listen, I'm, I'm excited about the word Christian, but I'm very excited when you get saved, you become a son of God. As a son of God, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 says this, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's all basically what it means. This morning, God doesn't fail you. As a child of his, he doesn't fail you. I mentioned earlier, you know, people, some Christians struggle about sin in their lives. Let me distinguish two things for you. When you get saved, you have sonship. You attain sonship. Sonship is a gift, just like we saw there. Sonship is a gift from God. You didn't earn it. You couldn't work for it. You couldn't buy it. Sonship is a gift from God. God gives you life, and it's new life through Jesus Christ. And listen, with sonship, you are forever His. Legally, you are a child of God. Now, there's sonship, but there's also fellowship. Fellowship is my relationship with God. Now, sometimes fellowship can be broken. Children can be disobedient. Children can get their parents exasperated. Children, children can kind of get their parents out of just kind of wondering, what's going on with my kid? Sometimes kids and parents will have an animosity towards each other. Hey, there are times fellowship between you and God can be broken, but it doesn't change your sonship. You might get upset with God. You might sin. Your fellowship is broken, but you're still a son of God and nothing changes that. Because of that, there's permanence. Behold what manner of love the fathers bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. May I give you an assurance this morning. Listen, once you're saved, you're always saved. And once you're saved, you're always a child of God. Nothing changes that. And with it, I think about what, what, what Paul told the Galatian believers in Galatians 4, 6. He says, because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Stories told, I've probably told this before. Abraham Lincoln had a young son by the name of Tad. Tad used to like to play outside the White House there in the grassy area. A young soldier had gotten word that his, that his wife well, I had an illness that it took a turn for the worse. And that letter said, you better come see your wife. She may not make it. Young 22, 23-year-old man. He wrote several letters, but they never made their way to President Lincoln's desk. They went to the different generals and people in charge there. And he, each time he said, can I get some time off to be with my wife? And every, day, every one of those letters responded back to him. They said, you cannot. You've got to stay in the battlefield. We need you on the battlefield. We're sorry about your circumstance, but you've got to stay in the battlefield. 
That soldier was dejected. He was discouraged. He didn't know what to do. He had to go far away off to go visit his wife and they wouldn't let him go. One day he got a, he got a kind of partial reprieve of during the day and he said, you know what, I'm, it's a long journey, but I'm going to make my way to Washington DC. I'm going to see if I can find my way to President Lincoln's door and ask President Lincoln personally. And he got there on that day off and he went there. He tried to make his way. The guards blocked him out. He said, sir, I don't know who you are, but you're not allowed here. We don't care. You've got a military uniform. We don't care how many years of service you have here. You are not allowed. You do not have a letter. You don't have permission. You have no prestige. You have nothing that will get you an audience with President Lincoln. That soldier started crying. He felt dejected. And he went down and he sat down on a bench somewhere, on an old log somewhere. He was sitting there and he had his head in his hands. He was crying. And he was crying so loud. He was sobbing so loud. Little Tad Lincoln was playing out there on the grass. And he heard that soldier crying. Little Tad Lincoln was, was, was kind of like, well, I've never heard a grown man cry. What's wrong with him? And Tad Lincoln went up to him. He said, soldier, are you okay? And he just ignored Tad Lincoln. He didn't know that was the president's son. He ignored the son, that little son there of the president. He said, sir, are you okay? And he looked at him and said, go away, little boy. He said, sir, are you okay? And he looked at him and he, says, he said, wait, now listen, listen. Tell me what's your problem. I might be able to help you. He, and he kind of scorned him and laughed. He said, you can't help me. But since you're here, I'll tell you, he says, listen, my wife is dying and I need to go back to see my wife. I want to be with her. And I've written letter after letter after letter. Nobody in our military brass will let me come. And I came here to see President Lincoln and they, the, the soldiers guarding his doors won't let me come in. I understand the security, but I've given them a valid understanding of what's going on, but they will not accept me. And Tad Lincoln did something out of the ordinary right there in that spot. Tad Lincoln grabbed that old soldier by the hand. He grabbed the soldier. He said, come here with me. And he started dragging that guy like this. He started dragging and pulling that soldier with him. He said, come with me. He said, where are you taking me, little boy? Just come with me. I'm going to take you over there. And he took the soldier, walked up the stairs into the White House, made his way. The soldier said, what are you doing? He said, get out the way. I'm the president's son. And he made his way there. He knocked on the door. And there was all this commotion outside the door because the soldiers knew that was Tad Lincoln. But the president was deep in thought and comfort with some other men about strategization for the for victory for the for the uh for the union at that time. And then the president heard all this commotion. He opened the door. And if you ever seen pictures of President Lincoln, his, no, his glasses were down like this. I just know this, whenever my teachers had glasses like this, I always knew I was in trouble, amen, you know. And he said, gentlemen, what's going on? And Tad said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. What do I need to do? President Lincoln opened the door. He said, Tad, bring him in. He said, sir, tell my daddy what your problem is. While he's talking, the president knew what he needed. He got a piece of paper out, got his feather pen, dipped in some ink, wrote a letter that gave this man permission, unlimited duration of time, to go and spend time with his wife. Let me close to tell you this. Just like Tad Lincoln could get that man to his father, Jesus can get you to his father. I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You believe in God, Jesus said, believe also in me. God wants to prepare heaven for you this morning. God wants you to know when you put your faith and trust Him today, He's a God who does not fail. There has not failed one good thing of all the Lord has promised. Brother and sister in Christ, aren't you glad today we have a God who doesn't fail? Amen? He doesn't fail you. If you'll come to Him this morning, you're not saved. And there's some this morning, you're not saved. You're not sure you're saved. You need to come to Him this morning.
Because he stands right here with open arms, willing to receive you and to save you from your sins. He will not, he will not, he will not, he will not fail you. Father, this morning, all over the room are Christians who need encouragement about a God who cannot fail. I read those verses, Lord, you're giving and giving and giving. You give rest, you give deliverance. And Josh, you wrote, there has not failed one good thing of all the Lord has promised. I believe there's a myriad of Christians here tonight, this morning, just hanging by a thread. We needed to hear that there's a God who does not fail them. In our steps, when we sin, in our suffering, and also as sons. Question number one this morning, we need to close, but question number one, Christian friend, did you feel like God failed you? I want to tell you this morning, God will not fail you. Why not with resolve this morning say, God, you help me today to take those steps faith steps forward steps step out this morning grow in the Lord you're struggling with sin he will not fail you you can confess your sins to him because he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and your suffering he's not going to fail you I can't tell you how he's going to answer your prayer but I can tell you this his grace will be sufficient for you You Christians need to make your way this morning and find an altar worker, find a place where you're seated and kneel down and find a place at the altar. Kneel down and say, God, I need your help this morning. Thank you for reassuring me that you never fail. Then if you're here today and not saved, He will not fail you. He can save you today. I wonder if there's somebody here today by the raising of the right hand said, Pastor Fong, I know I'm not saved. I'm not sure if I'm saved. But you talked about a God who does not fail me, who can make me a son. I want to get saved this morning. I want to know for sure I'm saved and going to heaven. You'd raise your hands and pray for me. There's someone here that raised your hands and pray for me. I want to be sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Do you know for sure you're saved? Are you a son of God? Are you a son of God? You're not sure. I invite you this morning to come. Raise your hand this morning. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know for sure how to be saved. Anyone like that today? Wait just a minute. How about Christians this morning? The next step as a son of God is to identify with Christ in His his death, burial, and resurrection. Would you do that this morning? Be a follower in baptism. Be a follower of the Lord. I'll give the invitation. We're not going to wait. You come. Who will be the first to step out and say, Lord, thank you for not failing me. I'm going to take Jesus today as my Savior. Father, bless the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand as your heads are bowed, eyes closed. Either make your way to the front, find your way here. Kneel down at your chair, find your place. Get God's power and help your life. Come this morning. He will not fail you. Hey, He's not going to fail you in your marriage. He's not going to fail you raising your kids. He's not going to fail you with your job situation. He will not fail you. What's more, you need to get saved today. Get saved today. Call on the Lord to save you from your sins. God loves you. He wants you in His family. We'll sing another stanza. Please don't delay. Folks are praying all over the room. Let's take our time this morning.
great struggles and sufferings and difficulties with a God who does not fail us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh in us this morning. We pray the Father's love, the Father's grace, the Father's mercy will overflow. We pray this morning we leave church with our cup overflowing, as David said. Overflowing because you love us, because you're merciful, you're gracious, and you're the God of the second chance and the third chance. I know, Lord, there's struggles going to hearts. Help those who are without Christ to trust Him today, to believe on Him. It's not tradition that saves us. It's the truth of God's Word. It's the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. It's realizing He sets us free. Have your way in our lives this morning. May your grace abound in every heart today. Lord, we thank you for what you've showed us from your Word. Help us to leave today excited, enthused, encouraged, refreshed because of what you want to accomplish in our life. Thank you for your goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While you stand, as Brother Joe Chan to come up. Brother Joe's going to lead us to closing prayer. A couple things. Tonight, our evening service. So, now, sometimes people have this idea, I preach the same message Sunday night. I'd like to preach the same message Sunday night, but that wouldn't be fair to people here Sunday morning. I always preach a different message Sunday night. And I want you to be back Sunday night. Great, encouraging thought tonight about able men. And we're just going to look at some of David's men, some characteristics. It's so encouraging. New message, fresh message, never preached before in this chapel, in this pulpit. You come for that tonight. Then I encourage you to be on board and join us for the 1K Challenge. And then, two Wednesday nights from now, uh, Dr. Paul Chapel will be here as our special speaker on a Wednesday night. We kind of arranged three years ago uh, for him to be here for three straight years. I'm thankful for that because there's a long period of time he, we didn't have him up here to preach, but he's going to come preach here. And I want you to be here that Wednesday night, and he'll greatly encourage you. God is using Brother Chapel greatly, and we promote a lot of his books and things, and we're thankful for that. You help us with that. Then pray about Friend Day, October 28th. We'll have the flyers out next Sunday for that. And you, you help me to bring lots of folks into church on that day. It'll be great. And then we have gone our fall revival to be blessed. My wife and I will be in the back. We'd love to shake your hand on the way out. Please don't skirt around us. Come by and say hello. Say something there. If you need a word of prayer, we'll be there to pray with you. We're so excited you're here this morning. We love you. Praying for God to do great things in your heart. Brother Joe, come lead us in closing prayer.